Method podcast with your host, Crystal Kali, also known as the most famous woman in the world. So today I want to talk about something that bothers me probably far too often than it should, which is other people's opinions of us and how we can sometimes or oftentimes allow that to determine our own opinion of ourselves. And so to rephrase that and to give you guys a directive, do not let other people's opinion of you determine your opinion of you. And this was one of my subconscious problems I had for a very, 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 very long time. I would say uh, all the way through my, probably until I was 31 or 32, or even maybe a little bit beyond that. And this is, if, if, if this happens to you and it's extremely common, um, just know that it's a part of human nature. So there's nothing wrong with you necessarily. There's just in, there's there's wired in wirings. Okay. That is not a scientific, scientific term. Um, but I learned in one of my psychology classes, which was called the neurological basis of psychology. Uh, so we had that one and we also had the neurological basis of abnormal psychology. Um, but so the point of this is we humans are super social creatures and our big brain that has evolved over millions of years has evolved to be very, very sensitive to the opinions of our tribe, of our peers, of our colleagues. So back in the African Savannah times when our wonderful, sophisticated social brain was developing, it was absolutely crucial for us to have a social structure and to have well-defined leaders and well-defined roles within a community and uh, methods to uh, become more organized And so these traits that evolved and that are still extremely present in our brain today were essential to survival. So usually a tribe was, I believe it's 180 people, something around there, a community. It's kind of like the building block of a human community. I believe it's 180. I might be a, a little bit off, but it's like one, 150, 180, somewhere around there. So your tribe, your people in your community had to evaluate you in terms of how you fit into the community. And so this is, you know, caveman times when the brain was developing and this evaluation was extremely important because if, if the tribe or community picked the wrong person to lead, and let's just break it down really uh, 
fundamentally, if they picked the wrong person to lead, let's say, a hunt, then maybe they could be facing starvation if things went wrong. Or maybe that leader got many of the community members killed. Or, you know, tribal wars even. You know, you had to know your role as a human being on the African savannah when our brains were being developed. So this highly, highly social brain, which is extremely sensitive to the opinions of others, is not necessarily a negative thing. It's actually an advantage and it's one of, it's a component of one of the major advantages of being a human being, which is being so social that that is one of uh, the human being's, let's say, uh, best traits to survive in, in the jungle and to survive on earth. It's our, eco- it's our ecological niche, you could say, is being so highly social. So you may not know that, and so, okay, let's back, let's back up or let's fast forward rather back to today, right? So we still largely have the same brain that our ancestors had. And so we're talking, our human brain has not really changed in millions of years. And so fast forward to today and we get things like, uh, you know, low self-esteem or believing you're not smart enough, believing you can't achieve very much in your life or any of those types of things. Uh, Usually those types of opinions about yourself were implanted by adults around you at some point along your developmental timeline. So it's a little bit harder to change someone's uh, ingrained opinion of themselves, of themselves, of ourselves as we age. So typically if someone has high self-esteem and they're bopping along through life and they have, you know, let's say they have exceptionally high self-esteem uh, because, you know, let's say that, that their parents or family members as, as a child instilled that within them, then moving forward, that person uh, will have a higher chance of having higher self-esteem as they move forward in their, in their lifespan. And the converse is true as well. So how can this hurt us? Well, my favorite thing is to give you anecdotal stories. So first of all, uh, actually, let me back up again before I go into my little story. Other people's opinion of you is based on extremely limited information. That is one of the bullet points I wrote down to remember to say. So other people's opinion of you is based on extremely limited information. And so... Usually, the people who have a certain opinion about you uh, 
are not with you 24 hours a day. Uh, You know, maybe this is a boss who won't give you a promotion, or maybe this is just someone you met in passing and they have a certain opinion about you, or maybe it's a new romantic interest and they're treating you a kind of way that you're not used to being treated because they have their certain opinion of you. So all of those people will not have the type of information available to them as you do about you. And throughout my last, I would say, uh, 10 years or so, I've had some wild, wild, wild interpretations of me by other people. And some of them are so, are, were so just flabbergasting that it's laughable now when I look back. Um, so let me give you some examples of something that happened to me and then how we can see how this can be detrimental and then how we can fix it or use it to our advantage. So here's a simple story. I was at a colleague's going away party. Uh, a colleague in the aerospace uh, industry. So there was a lot of aerospace people there. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I have an aerospace startup called Spaceborn, and I'm very proud of this company. So I'm always happy to meet people in my new favorite industry. So we're there, and I'm just, uh, you know, making casual conversation. And so one woman asked, oh, so what do you do? And I was in the middle of answering it when I kind of got cut off by somebody else uh, talking or asking a question about food or something. And so I was kind of like, oh, you know, when you kind of get like strung between two conversations. So, um, but I was trying to explain uh, what it is exactly that I do, which that's always a tough one because I have multiple sources of uh, sources of income and you know what I did when all throughout my 20s changed uh, now that I'm 37 so I try to answer questions simply I, I try to answer that question specifically when people ask me that in a simple way as simple as I can Um, because I don't obviously want to come across as a braggart or somebody who's just totally self-aggrandizing and an a-hole. So I usually try to say something like, well, you know, I have multiple sources of income, but I'm a musician and entrepreneur. And I'm in school for a medical degree. Um, You know, if they really want to know more about it, I'll go into that. And But my original degree was in music. Something like that, um, but I was I was kind of like getting dragged into these two conversations. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know. Um, but in the second side conversation that I was having, um, the gentleman we were talking earlier about my medical degree, and so I was doing clinical hours at that time in phlebotomy. So I went and got my phlebotomist license so that I could meet clinical requirements 
um, with while getting paid for it instead of just volunteering at a clinic. So I was saying something along the lines of that, or he said something along the lines of that of, of, Oh, you said you were a phlebotomist or something. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm a phlebotomist. I'm, you know, doing my clinical hours or something. And anyways, the original woman who I was trying to speak to and answer her question, um, then said, Oh, you're a phlebotomist. And, you know, at this point it was just, you know, how parties can go. So I was just like, yeah, I'm a phlebotomist. And, you know, of course that's just one small anecdotal story that will probably have zero net effect on my life. (laughs) But the point of the matter is, uh, you know, so this woman in the world thinks I'm just a phlebotomist and that's it. And that's what I do. And I'm a phlebotomist. And I'm just like, you know, it's, that's so funny because, you know, in life, we meet people in passing, we have colleagues, we have coworkers, we have friends, we have romantic partners, we have all these people, but each one of them has only a limited amount of, of information about us. I mean, for, for example, this woman, because our time at that moment was short and I didn't want to go into this long spiel about, well, I actually... I actually used to play for a blues legend, but he just passed away and actually, you know, I've toured all over the world with a rockabilly band and actually I have a this and that and, you know, I didn't want to be that person. So, you know, she has limited information about me and, and other people have limited information about you. Here's an example from music and I know tons of fun music stories and backstories and this just popped into my head. So when the Jackson 5 were um, were just kind of starting and had already released an, released an album or two, Motown wanted them to have professional songwriters, uh, you know, writing their songs for them. And that was how their, I, I believe, first or, first or second or first and second albums were made uh, with other songwriters writing for them. And the boys in Jackson 5 said, they kept pushing and saying, no, we can do it ourselves. We can do it ourselves. You know, we can write our own songs. We can write our own, our own songs. And Barry Gordy, the head of Motown, just kept saying no and did not believe that they had the skill, talent, education to be able to to compose well-written hit pop songs. And so of course, you probably can guess how the story goes. They can they kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him saying we can do it our own, we can do it on our own. Finally, he lets them record an album of songs that they wrote themselves. And it's three, four, five, six, seven, ten times, or whatever it was, uh, bigger than the albums that had been written for them. And so, of course, you know, then then the rest is history, right, Michael Jackson. So, in that scenario, Barry Gordy was the one who had limited information about their ability, skill, talent, and education in a particular era. Uh, area. And this is just a phenomenon that happens for everyone because no one has as much information about you and your capabilities as you. 
Um, I'll give you another example. So when I was in high school, and this is absolutely not to brag, (laughs) it really isn't, Um, but I was a nerd and I loved getting good grades. That was my identity I had formed for myself because I liked being thought of as a smart person. And I liked the positive feedback that my teachers gave me about doing so well in school. I liked that a lot. And I liked learning, honestly, too. I've always been a bookworm. I like reading and I like doing tests and scantrons. Like, I'm that weird kid that, you know, I like would fill in the scantron bubbles like perfectly. And if it was even just a little bit out of the little box, I would erase it and do it again. Okay, so anyways, I'm a big nerd. Big surprise, big shock. But so that was my opinion of myself in high school, which was a very obviously formative time for me and for you and for everyone else. High school is a time when your adolescent brain is still developing and it's making new connections and pruning uh, synapses and learning about identity and peer groups and peer approval and all kinds of fun stuff. And so I formed my identity around being the girl who, who, you know, was in the honors classes and did the activities and was also nice to people and also a cheerleader and, and positive and stuff. That was my identity. And when I went to college, I carried that identity through, even though I went to a music school initially that identity, I just carried that right through. I got really great grades. I loved studying. I loved making study groups. I loved socializing. I made a, a club there on campus at MI. And I, that was my identity. I was that same girl. And then when I got out of the structure of school, when I graduated college, I found it extremely difficult to carry that identity through with me. Um, I did carry being a musician as an identity with me through um, after graduating college because I was making that a central part of my life. I was, I was in cover bands and that's how I made half of my income and I was still going to jams all the time and stuff like that. So being a musician was definitely uh, a part of my identity still, but that identity of, of how I had formed myself in school, you know, it's not as easy to like identify yourself as as a quote unquote smart person, even though of course being smart, as we all know, does not necessarily have anything to do with how good of grades you get, of course. But I liked that identity and it's who I was, of course, all subconsciously. But I, you know, you can't carry that through. So, you know, the way that my community and and my tribe in school, so my teachers and other students, my peers, all, you know, had a certain level of respect for me. And that was another reason why I liked getting good grades and doing the activities and, and all that stuff. 
is because I liked that my teachers treated me well. They treated me with respect. I liked that, um, you know, my, my other students came to me for help. I was glad to give it. And it was just a nice, a nice identity to embody. I'm not going to lie. But after, you know, I got out of that tiny little microcosm, that identity just vanished, right? I mean, how are you going to be that girl, you know, be the girl with the club in the, in the clubs and the, you know, making activities and scoring, you know, in the 99th percentile of da da da. Like you can't. So I would find it extremely irksome when people would talk down to me, when they would make odd, strange assumptions about me because of my racial background or how I looked or how I dressed. And it would just irk me to no end because that respect that I used to have from my community who knew me and knew what I was about, you know, it's not there when you're just in the working world, when you're 25 and you're working at Hooters, (laughs) like I was, or working as a bartender on the Third Street Promenade or working at Saddle Ranch Bar and you're just the bartender. You know, at that point, I was just a bartender. When I was 25, I'm just a bartender. And so people treated me like uh, just the bartender chick. And why? Well, because they had limited opinions of me. They didn't know my, my background. They didn't know that actually I could have went to any college I wanted and got several scholarships to all kinds of amazing four-year universities, but I wanted to go to a music school because that's where my heart was and I chose that consciously to go. They didn't know that. I'm just, I'm just a dumb bartender, you know? So slowly over the years, what ended up happening was I, and of course I don't want to talk too much about myself, but I'm sure there's many of you who can see yourself in me. Um, so over the years, my, through, throughout my late twenties, this, this, uh, Phenomenon started getting worse and worse and worse. And that was because I was getting into environments that were, you know, not having anything to do with that identity I had formed. I had completely graduated school. I wasn't in any kind of educational programs. I was bartending, uh, waitressing, and honestly not doing well at all financially. Um, and that's a whole other, it's a whole other story, but yes, my late twenties were, well, actually, you know what? All my twenties <laughs> pretty much right after graduating college, like, and, and actually even throughout college were just not stable financially at all. I was constantly getting evicted and not being able to pay my bills and couch surfing and the whole nine yards trying to make it as a musician in LA and not making enough money. So, you know, I made some choices to go into environments, mostly bars and work. And, you know, the people you meet in those environments aren't necessarily 
you know, going to be supportive of someone like me who had that identity of the, of the nerdy, of the nerdy fun girl, you know? So slowly, 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 I forgot about that girl. I forgot that, Hey, I'm effing smart. (laughs) I score crazy on nation on, um, like on like national tests and SATs and all that stuff, like crazy, crazy. But I forgot about that girl completely and allowed individuals in my life, into my personal life, who never knew me in college and never knew me in high school. And the only, the only image they had of me was the bartender chick. And... You know what? Here, I'm, I'm actually going to just tell the truth here. I'm going to get really deep. All right, people. First time I'm actually admitting this on in public, but I think it's I knew there was going to come a time and it's it's kind of like, you know what? It's time. So because I was struggling so badly financially and mentally, and that's a whole other story of why um, I started to dance in a bikini bar at first in uh, Santa Monica which I, I at the time thought that I was super smart because, Hey, I'm, you know, I was a waitress at the time making, let's say a hundred dollars in tips a day. But Hey, if I go to this bikini bar and dance for five hours, I made $500 or 600 or 700 or sometimes a thousand. So I thought, Hey, time, you know, it's very time efficient. This is optimizing my time. I only, you know, in my head, I was like, oh, I I can just work only three days a week instead of six or seven days a week and make the same amount of money and still go to school. So I started at a bikini bar, which eventually through a lot of ups and downs, which we'll get to those later on in in the podcast, I'm sure. And I'm sure I'm going to write about it in my book too. But through many, 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 many ups and many, 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 many downs, I started stripping. And why? Well, because of, well, there's a lot of reasons why, but the biggest reason why is because I forgot about the identity of who I really was inside and who, and the identity that I wanted to be. I had allowed other people who were new to my life to tell me about me. And to them, I was either just a bartender or a stripper to many of them. And this of course is not including my musical community, my blues community who had literally nothing, who, who knew nothing about what I was doing during those years in my twenties. I stopped when I was, I stopped by the time I was, I believe 28, uh, dancing. So, um, and I'm 37 now. So thank God, you know, thank God that that chapter is far, far, far in the past. And I feel fine with talking about it because I'm hoping I will reach someone out there in the world, but I allowed other people's opinion to dictate my new identity. 
And, uh, you know, I was hanging around the people that I met in those environments who they didn't know I was the cheerleader who took AP physics with Mr. Elliot at Savannah, which was the hardest class. You know, nobody knew I took AP chemistry with Mr. Michelotti and got an A, <laughs> which was a super hard class, not even going to lie. And I enjoyed it. And if Mr. Michelotti is listening, dude, what up? <laughs> I remember one time he, he, he told me, and this was like, I think my uh, uh, junior year, he was talking to another teacher and he's like, see, like Crystal here. Um, she looks like she would just be the, I, I don't remember ex his exact words, but it was like, she looks like she would just be the, the bimbo blonde cheerleader, but actually she's breaking the curves in every single, you know, she's breaking the curve every, um, quarter in this class. She's one of the smart ones. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I might look stupid, but I'm effing smart, bro. <laughs> right. But that girl got complete, was just vanished. Vanished. Gone. Poof. See you. Bye. By the time I was 26, 27, I was surrounded by people who, who were just, you know, no, maybe not. I wouldn't say surrounded by, but my daily life was a totally, totally, totally different identity. And actually... It was even stranger because in I had these two different worlds going on. One, the like nightlife dancing and bartending crowd, the get drunk party and act stupid and do coke crowd. And then this whole other crowd, which is the blues community. And those two worlds never, ever collided. Pretty much never. Never did those two worlds collide. And so as my, as my career in blues uh, started to, you know, get better. Um, it was even stranger because on the one hand, I literally had thousands and thousands of people from all over the world who treated me with such respect for playing with blues hall of fame, legend guitar shorty. So I was on stages with a blues legend and, you know, playing to the blues community and being treated just phenomenally being treated like a rock star, being treated like, you know, red carpet rolled out, VIP treatment everywhere. You know, people saying crazy things like, when I grew up, I want to be like you, like stuff like that. And then the, on the other hand, trying to make ends meet in the nightlife scene where people would treat me like literal dog shit like nothing, like completely worthless, uh, nothing at all whatsoever. Um, I mean, I literally had drunk dudes hit me in the club, like straight up hit me. Uh, people talking, you know, talk down to me every, every night, just the, whatever worst thing that you can possibly imagine. That was my flip side nightlife, trying to make ends meet part-time world. And so it took me a very, 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 very long time to realize that all of those people's opinions of me weren't true. It was only because 
those nightlife people only saw a tiny sliver of what I was doing. They didn't know I was playing with a blues legend (laughs) at other points of the month. They didn't know I was a college graduate. They didn't know I put myself through school. They didn't know I was, they didn't know any of that stuff, nor would they care or whatever. And that's just, that was their, that was their opinion of me. And I let that, I let that slowly erode my self-esteem. Because we're human beings and we're extremely social and other people's opinions of us can start to seep into our subconscious mind to a point where we start believing that. Even though they only have so much information, they don't know your entire history, they don't know achievements that you've accomplished, they don't know you know, triumphs that you have overcome. They don't know what you're good at. They don't know your talent. You know, sometimes even your closest family might only have a certain limited view of you as well. Because what if you're into gaming and what if you know that you're extremely, extremely, extremely talented in a certain area in that space and you know that with a little bit of time and effort, you could be making millions of dollars from gaming. But let's say your parents don't understand gaming or don't understand that community and the way that it's, uh, it monetizes. And you might have a parent that calls you stupid. Yeah, you're just sitting around playing video games all day. You're, you're stupid, get off the couch. Well, they don't really actually know what's going on. They don't know that you're actually sitting there, maybe, you know, looking up other gamers who have made millions of dollars and realizing that you're just as good as them and could do the same exact thing. And you're, you know, maybe you're making plans and you have a whole plan and everything. They don't know that. What if they don't know that? You could let their bad opinion or, you know, Of course, this is a hypothetical family, right? I hope that your parents, if you're a gamer out there, I hope that, and you're really good, I hope your parents love you and tell you that you're amazing and you keep going. But this is my hypothetical family, right? Like some people, we will let their opinion of us, that that negative opinion, uh, you're stupid, all you do is sit around and play video games all day, you're never gonna grow up to be anything, you're worthless. We let that just completely take us over and then we become like automatons and we're like, yes, I'm worthless. I am worthless. I'm an automaton. I am stupid. All I do is play video games. I suck. I'm not going to make any, I'm not going to make anything out of my life. It becomes a, like a software worm, like a bug that just goes through your whole being and you can, you know, it's very, very easy to, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. The next thing you know, you're making, you know, you're not, you're not developing your skills anymore in that particular area because of what somebody said about you. It's like they're just throwing grime and dust on your pretty polished machine. And they're just throwing it and throwing it and throwing it. And instead of wiping it off, you're just like, eh, yeah, just leave it there. So no, you have to be very, very cognizant 
that other people's opinions of you have absolutely no existential reality. It's just their opinion. It's not real. It's in their head. And it doesn't matter. I mean, there's a woman out there who thinks that I'm just a phlebotomist. There's people out there who think that I'm just a waitress. Because that's when they met me 15 years ago, I was a waitress. So in their head, oh yeah, that's the waitress chick. I mean, whatever it is, right? So I really hope that you sit down, do a meditation of who you are, who you know you are, who you want to be, who you really are, where your real talents lie. You know where your real talents are. You know. Nobody, nobody really actually has to tell you your strengths. If you really think about it for a moment, you'll know, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I am really good at blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, <laughs> well, capitalize on that. And don't let other people's grime and dirt spoil your light, my children. <laughs> okay, until next time, remember to each one teach one. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as financial advice, investment advice, or medical advice. The host is not a financial advisor nor a medical doctor or licensed therapist. Any financial or medical decisions made based on the information in this podcast are made at the listener's own risk. It is recommended that listeners consult with licensed professionals such as CPAs, financial advisors, and licensed physicians before making any investment or medical decisions. The host and creators of this podcast accept no responsibility or liability for any loss or damages incurred as a result of the information provided in this podcast.